Welcome to the Sanity Pod, honest human stories from the front lines of startup life. Our mission is to normalize the ups and downs of creating something from nothing and the challenges common to every leader, such that we might all feel a little less alone in the journey. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. Why not call your customers during the quarter or your VCs during the quarter and ask for help? I think that's been one of my biggest learning experiences. Wow. What I'm hearing is if we had spoken a year ago or 18 months ago, you may have described that a, a real CEO, someone that really knew what they were doing, would have the answers. <laughs> and it sounds like you've landed in a very different place in your view of leadership as you hold it now. It's quite profound. Today, we welcome Gaurav Patajaya, co-founder and CEO of Involve.ai. Involve recently raised a $16 million round, but a year ago, the founders were considering shutting down the business. Gaurav shares with us the very human side of his leadership journey over the last 18 months. We explore imposter syndrome, navigating hard decisions and conversations, as well as how to invite your team and board into the company's most difficult questions. You're going to love Gaurav. Now, on to Gaurav. Gaurav, welcome. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here and excited to share some ideas with you today. Looking forward to it. Would you be up for giving us a bit of an intro on yourself and your company and we'll kick off from there? Yeah, I would love that. So I come from New Delhi. I was born in a very humble family. I lost my father to cancer when I was two years old. Uh, mother was a blue collar worker. She would wash utensils door to door. Uh, but I had an excellent opportunity to get into coding very young. Uh, my brother was picking up coding at his school, and I would play it on, play video games on his computer. I started coding at 10 years old, uh, built my first video game at 12. And I met my co-founder, uh, Samia, in a coding class when I was 15. So we both were nerdy kids. We were fighting for the front desk in a coding class. So that's how we met. Wow. So in hindsight, didn't make either of us cool, but we became friends. And we started our first company right after high school. We built a patient experience platform that would help doctors and hospitals improve patient experience, almost like a market or hub spot for doctors. Mm -hmm. uh, ran it for several years, had a lot of ups and downs, had the opportunity to sell the company, make some money. And this is our second company together called Involve.ai. We came off of a pivot. We started five years ago as an employee engagement platform. Several years of slogging, we didn't have product market fit, but ultimately we started monitoring our customers and really understanding what makes them tick, what makes them sticky. And that was the generation of our platform, which is a customer intelligence platform to improve customer experience. So we pivoted like Slack and, and that's kind of where we are now. Yeah, I'm excited to get into some of that. And one of the reasons I was excited to invite you on to have this conversation today was that I've been privileged to witness your transition through some of those pivots. And from the outside, it's easy to look at other companies and to assume that everything has always gone smoothly and up and to the right. And then when you're on the inside to find out that that's not exactly how things tend to unfold. I'm wondering if we might start with where you were when we first connected, and then maybe we, we look at some of the big decisions that came up along the way and what that was like for you to be on the inside instead of the outside. How does that sound? Yeah, I think 
I think it sounds very good, Matt. I remember the first time kind of we connected. Uh, it was a very difficult time for the company. I, I do remember I, I had just gotten off uh, the phone call with our board member, Mark Mullen. It was a very difficult phone call. And he's such a great partner to us. You know, I was ready to kind of <laughs> tell him that, hey, we have some money left. We feel like we failed you. The company was struggling. I think we were four years in and we had a lot of people on our team uh, and we were really struggling to find product market fit. It was post-COVID. We didn't have as much money left in the bank to keep going and keep trying and keep pivoting. So I just called Mark Mullen and I told him that, hey, we have some money left. Maybe I can we can return funds and we're thinking of closing doors. Mm. And he, he just gave me this hope and he said, look, you know, if you have other ideas, you should pursue those because we backed you and not your idea. And that gave me just so much inspiration because I was just determined that this is kind of the end of the road for us. But that was one of the biggest transitions we were making where we had put our blood, sweat and tears in an idea for many years. And we had some good traction, but not amazing traction. We would find a lot of users, but we were, we didn't have stickiness. Uh, mm. Churn was a big issue for us. And that's kind of when we realized that, hey, what we have done is not working. And we have two options either or three options, either to keep going or to shut doors and kind of call it quits or to find other ideas to work on with the same team. Mm. Could you zoom in for us a little bit on just leading up to that conversation with Mark and what was going on in your head? I imagine that might've felt like quite a day in your life. Yeah, what a, what a day. It was a very difficult day. I just had a conversation with my co-founder in the morning, Samia, and I spoke with her and I was telling her what I'm feeling. I had this kind of burden of failure. I was feeling terrible imposter syndrome. And I also contemplated that, hey, maybe the best decision is to bring a different CEO or a better CEO. So I was really thinking about that. And I was thinking, maybe we can find someone from outside. We can look from someone internally who would be better. And Samia was laughing and she just told me that this could be for better or worse. You know, I, I built some of the initial code and it was so badly written. She said that, nobody can come from outside and fix this mess for you, <laughs> mm. which was really funny, but trying to, in her way, telling me that, Hey, I, I have to deal with this and I'm the best CEO for the job for now mm. and figuring out what I could do that would be best for the company. And I do remember then giving Mark a call. Usually we have monthly lunches and we're very open about our conversations, but I've never had a call like this with him. And I didn't know how he would react because um, obviously, they took a bet on us and and Mark's been a great partner for us and he's taught us a lot of things. But one of the things is always like picking up the phone and, and just being sincere. But I was very worried because the backstory is when Mark backed us for the idea, he did say that he didn't like our idea <laughs> and mm. nobody did at his fund. He was very sincere. He said that, hey, we just love you as founders and we want to back you. And we feel like the ideas that you're working on are good to have, may not be adopted as well with market, but obviously we want you to prove us wrong. And he had kind of done a veto against his partners and kind of made the decision to back us. So I had this incredible weight on my shoulders of just failing him mm. and failing some of the team members. We had people who we had brought in from Microsoft and Accenture. And we had some people who had left really cushioned jobs, like being paid two forty thousand dollars to now being at 50,000 and 60,000 a year salaries to be at this early stage startup on this vision. 
and had this a thousand things running through my head. Like, hey, what would my board think? What would my staff think? Like, what would the people who have left these jobs for a vision, do I have the courage to go back to them and say, you're not going to follow this vision anymore. <laughs> like this vision is not working. Those were some of the things that I was really thinking through while having these conversations with my team. Wow. And for our listeners that are just hearing your story and the company's story for the first time, give us the chronology here. So this was a little over a year ago. Is that right? Yeah, it was 2020. I feel like it was exactly around this time frame, just a couple of months before, maybe it was um, August uh-huh. of 2020 when we did decide to pivot. And just for the sake of context, and maybe we'll snap to present day just for a moment to frame the conversation, and then we'll go back and talk a little bit about what it was like for you and the team navigating your way through some of those questions. But things are looking quite different today. Maybe give us the lay of the land and what things are like today. That may raise quite a bit of curiosity for our listeners on how we went from where things were a year ago to where things are today. Yeah, so today things are looking very positive, Matt. Today's actually a very special day. Most days in the startup are very hard, but Mm. I'm very incredibly proud of today because we just hired our first chief customer officer and her name is Mary Poppin and she was the 40th employee at Success Factors and she helped them get acquired to SAP, helped with the IPO there. Then she was at Glint and helped get acquired to LinkedIn and then the acquisition with Microsoft. So she's an ex-Microsoft and LinkedIn, a very senior executive. So on that perspective, just a couple of months ago, we also raised a 16 million Series A that was done by Sapphire Ventures. And we have Kathy Gao who led the round for us, incredible partner, like one of the best youngest partners in Sapphire's history. So we just have some incredible people around the table now, a lot of money in the bank. We have amazing customers, like companies like Glint at LinkedIn uses us, our software. We have SEM Rush that just went public. Just some of the world's best SaaS companies are using our platform. Uh, we grew from about eight people four months ago. Now, Matt, we are uh, 44 people uh, about to get to 60 by next quarter. And hopeful, And our goal is to get to 100 by February of next year. So just a lot of growth in all areas of customers, adding some amazing people. And we have been growing 40% month over month since we launched in November. Wow. What a difference a year can make. Yeah, what a difference a year can make. It's very hard when you're in the present though, right? When you're in that, it's like when it rains, it pours. Yeah. And when, when that's happening, it's really hard to foresee that bad times don't last. Yeah. If we could go back from where you are today and sit with yourself a year ago as you're preparing for that call with Mark and holding some of those questions on whether it was time to give money back and to call it a day, You mentioned imposter syndrome and feeling like there had to be someone else out there better fit for the job. I'm wondering if you could go back and whisper anything in your own ear a year back, what you would say. That's it. It's such a great thought. And I feel like one of the biggest things is not overthinking everything and not being anxious about the future. When I was in that position, I had just two thoughts. I had so much regret about the past. Like, all the bad decisions, everything that we could have done differently, we could have done better. So I was constantly in this pendulum of going from the past where the past is extremely negative and we're constantly thinking about all the bad decisions that I made. Every time I was a bad CEO, a bad friend, a bad Mm -hmm. employee, a bad son to my mother, all these things I was thinking about. And then there's the future, which is, wow, what's going to happen when I call Mark and my call with Mark is terrible? What's going to happen when I 
talk to my team and some of the best people that we've hired that I'm so proud of that I tell them that, hey, this vision no longer exists. And you just mm-hmm. wasted a couple of years. Some people had been with us for four years. Then you just wasted four years of your prime career time with us. So I feel one of the things that I want to whisper is just being in the present moment and being methodical, tactical, and cool and calm about it and not having the mind go back and forth between those. Uh, one of the things that you helped me with a lot was just to really focus on the present moment and thinking through our conversations. It was, all right, forget about things that went bad in the past. Forget about the future. Let's focus on the options we have and what are the best ways to validate and invalidate those options. Like, can you quickly validate that this is it for the previous product? Can you quickly validate that there's a market for the second product? Can you validate by calling all your VCs and your on and the people who are around the table? Are they going to be supportive and are are they going to help you with this new vision or you know just sticking through hard times? And I think just being objective and being in the present moment is the single biggest thing that I was able to do with your help and with the help of Samia and some of my other you know people in the in the company. Whereas I I spent months just deliberating and thinking through those things. And just really worrying about, regretting the past and worrying about the future. I think that's something that I could train myself on if I could go back and talk to myself again. Mm. I can really relate to this question of whether or not I'm the right person for the job. And I can remember a lot of years in my own time in the CEO seat of telling my co-founders or even just ruminating in my own head that there's got to be someone else that could be better at this. That if they could only come in, if we could only find this person, then they would know what to do. And it felt like this very binary thing to me of either I'm I'm the right person for the job or I'm not. And what I'm hearing, like it, what I'm hearing as you share your own story, is that it sounds like even getting out of the question and just getting into the present moment and figuring out how to prioritize what work mattered and what you needed to learn was actually in and of itself helpful in in allowing you to move through that question to a different place. It definitely was. It was the most important question. Just being comfortable with yourself and your own shortcomings and knowing that the best person to get us out of this situation is also me and just thinking and having some faith and confidence in yourself and your Mm -hmm. abilities is just so vital. And I think imposter syndrome has been terrible for me. I remember I was just thinking about a situation where we, we did one of the biggest deals in the company history that helped us save and give us the runway to keep executing. And that was at the time that I, I remember the day, I think it was December of 2020. And it was right before the holidays were kicking in. And we were working with the Fortune 100 company on a contract. And I think it was December 23rd. So we just had like one day left to make it happen. Otherwise, it could happen the holidays. And on January 4th, you know, that's it. We knew that we can't make the next payroll. We can make one payroll, pay people for the two weeks, but we won't be able to make payroll on January 4th. And I remember I was on the call and I was just thinking to myself, man, I just wish instead of me was some some other CEO who would be the world's greatest salesperson. And I was just thinking on the phone and the Fortune 100 company was, their sourcing team was in Ireland. It was 4 a.m. Pacific time. I was on the phone. Wow. And I was talking to the Irish team and they were asking me questions and I wasn't even listening. I wasn't in the present Mm -hmm. moment. I was just constantly thinking about, wow, what if it was anyone else? And then I just thought like, 
okay, what if like the world's best salesperson, and I have someone who I admire a lot, you know, he's another Indian guy, his name is Devin. He's one of my favorite salespersons. He was a CRO at Trip Actions. And I always rely on him for asking a lot of sales questions. I was like, what if Devin was here today? What hmm. would he do? You know, and I was like, okay, Devin would ask like some logical questions. Like the first logical question is tomorrow is a holiday. Like what if we can get the redlining done of the contract? What's hmm. going to happen? Are you guys going to be present? And then I said, being my authentic self, like if I just believe in myself and say, what would I ask? And I said, I would be very transparent with this company. And I, I told them, I said, look, we, we, I have to be sincere with you. We are a startup and we only have a limited runway <laughs> and you guys need our platform. And we've been helping you for some time. If we don't get this done, we may not be able to make payroll and then we won't be able to wow. help you. All your hard work of the past six months is going to go to waste. And both points were very logical because for the first question, they answered, look, some people in the sourcing team continue to work the holidays because we do mm -hmm. understand that we work with small businesses and if we don't pay them on time, it may not work out, right? It may be a bad business. We want to be a good partner. Being one of the largest companies in the world, it's going to be really bad if our partners are constantly going out of business. That's kind of what they told me. So it was, it was excellent. It was just asking those questions, gave us a lot of faith. We were able to get the deal done before December. And they actually paid us in advance. Uh, you know, we had different payment segments. They decided to front load it. Uh, gave us a lot of runway to keep executing on the product. But wow. that, I, I just remember that imposter syndrome story. I would never forget it. So you're running out of cash, not sure you can make payroll. You're on a sales call with a prospective customer that you need to close in order to make payroll, wondering how to handle the call, sitting in your own head, struggling with your own voices. And you decided to tell them the truth that if they didn't <laughs> move quickly enough, we weren't going to have enough runway to serve them as our customer. That is a bold move, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> I have been inspired throughout many of our conversations by your decision to do that, to tell the truth. And I'm remembering back when you were sitting with some of these big questions around what to do with the business, given that we were having a hard time scaling revenue around the time of that conversation with Mark. And it kind of brings me to a question around what you saw the team needing through that time. And I meet with a lot of CEOs or leaders who seem to carry this belief that they need to protect the team in some way from the hard things. Mm. And I'm curious what that was like for you. How did you handle communication with the team? What was it like for you to navigate some of those decisions? Yeah, very good points that you bring up and a lot of stories around this. One of the things that Mark's been such an incredible partner for us. I remember after the phone call, he was like, Make sure you take care of your team. And that's kind mm -hmm. of where it stopped. And when we were having our conversations, I remember one of the things that I learned from you is how do I invite my team to be a part of this decision process and to be a part of really owning where we are and kind of offloading some of my burdens and challenges to them. And I was always very worried about that. I always felt like my job is to protect the team and to help them focus on the most important work that they're doing. And it could be anything. It could be coding. It could be sales calls. It could be doing the new website and all the other decisions about product market fit or letting people go or any hard decisions should be the job of the, the executive team or the CEO. Like I, I've taken on this role. I've brought them on. They're doing me a favor. I got to make sure they can do the best work, which would be website designing right? in my mm. head. That's kind of what I always felt. And when we were having our conversations and as we were doing goal setting, 
I remember in one of the conversations we talked about aligning your team is nowhere. Like aligning your team around product market fit is not in one, any of your goals. And it kind of struck me that one of my jobs is to make sure that I can invite them in. And it was such a refreshing conversation. I do remember the first time I had conversation. We, had, we still had a small team. I think there were eight of us and we got on a Zoom call and it just started by being vulnerable. And I said, look, I feel like we're in a very difficult situation. Let me just pause there and tell you guys what's going on here. Hey, this is the amount of runway we had. Here's what's going on. But we have support from our board and we have these things and we have the opportunity to create and try again, like try maybe for one last time. Hmm. And the amount of the incredible things that came out of the conversations was people had real action items about how they're going to validate the market. And they took it on themselves. Like we had website designers who were saying, we're going to go and call all the chief customer officers and chief revenue officers that we see on LinkedIn, on our LinkedIn, and reach out to them and see if there's a market for this, ask them questions. We had software developers who were saying, hey, can we make a quick prototype and see if we can make a front end of this so we can do some experiments wow. to validate hypotheses. And they were kind of self-delegating tasks to themselves. And they actually, people messaged me after that, man. And we had this one person who we had hired and we had sold them on this vision. And the person was like, I am so grateful that I left Microsoft because now I get to truly live and be at the stage where I can own things. And I was just thinking to myself, the team is incredibly grateful to me to have me invite them and share my burden with them instead of me protecting them. And that was just incredibly enlightening. I cannot forget his name is Dayton and he was one of the best engineers at Microsoft, just joined us. And he said, one of my biggest goals to leave Microsoft was to have the opportunity to be in decision-making like this, be able to do hard things that can help the company. And I think that made a lot of difference. So it was almost a mind shift to say, how do I align my staff better? How do I keep them up to speed with what I'm thinking, mm. the positives and the negatives, invite them in decision-making, invite them in brainstorming and invite them to own some of the hard decisions and hard things we have to do as a company and not just do website designing or writing the best software as possible. Wow. That is such a powerful story. I think in part because of what you said earlier of the stress that you were carrying around the the lives and the well-being of this team, particularly given that some of these people had come from senior uh, high-paying jobs elsewhere and were very recent additions to this effort. And it would have been so understandable to decide that I need to I need to hide from them the questions I'm holding. We've got this business because you guys were doing real revenue and had real customers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so the logic would have been understandable to say, they just joined, they're going to freak out and quit or mm -hmm. I don't know, something worse if I let them know yeah. how dire things are. Mm -hmm. And I need to go over here into a corner or the founders need to go over here in a corner and figure out the path forward so that we can tell the team what we're going to do so people don't freak out. That would be so understandable. And it sounds like you mm -hmm. took a very different path of openness and honesty, much like you did with that customer, of letting them in to the reality of what was going on. And what an incredible response from the team. Yeah, it was a response like no other. I had in a million probability and iterations and my mind running in all these different scenarios, 
I could have never thought that that would be the outcome. Mm -hmm. The outcome that I had always imagined is two of the eight people would leave, two of the remaining six would say, this is exciting, let's do it, we'll work with you on it. The other two would be disgruntled and telling all of their friends that this is the worst CEO and the worst company to mm -hmm. ever work for. And that's kind of what was going through my head, but that everybody would rally around problem solving as a mm -hmm. team, even though that's not their core skill set. Like, you know, nobody comes to a company to come in one day and say, hey, we are in this dire circumstance where we're thinking of shutting down the business or we could have one last opportunity to survive. And but everybody took that on and they were grateful to me. On the other hand, they should have been like, wow, what a terrible CEO to put us in the spot in the first place. Mm -hmm. They were actually saying, we're grateful that you're giving us this opportunity. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? But that's how it felt. How has that experience shifted your understanding of the role of CEO? One thing that comes to mind is just this incredible alignment. I've learned about it through doing hard things and aligning could mean so many things, but Constant alignment, starting with aligning to your employees and to mm. everybody who works in the company, saying that, are we aligned on what the vision of the company is? What's our mission? What are we really doing here? Why are we doing what we're doing? Then aligning that with them on what goals are important for us. And it doesn't mean that what goals am I thinking of that are important for the company, but what does the team think are the top goals that we need to hit this year or this quarter? Mm getting their feedback on it and then aligning them on it and making sure they're always aligned throughout the quarter, going back to what our top goals are and not getting distracted, aligning the board with where are we as a company and what are we doing? What are we solving for? How can they help us? How can they inviting them in our journey, in the building of their journey and not just for giving us opinions. And then the same with our customers and saying, this is where we are in the company's journey. Here's the value we're trying to provide. Are we providing this value to you? Can you help us build to that? Can you help us be better? I think that has been so incredibly, one of my biggest learning experiences as the job of the CEO is to constantly align your staff, your customers mm -hmm. and your board and your investors with what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And can you help make this successful? Not only tell you after the fact, like after it's done, after the quarter's over, give a call and say, you know, the quarter was great. Thank you so much. Just want to tell you what happened or call them and say, the quarter was terrible. Why not call your customers during the quarter or your VCs during the quarter and ask for help? I think that's been one of my biggest learning experiences. Wow. What I'm hearing is if we had spoken a year ago or 18 months ago, you may have described that a, a real CEO, someone that really knew what they were doing would have the answers and would be the polished salesperson, never get yeah. things wrong. And it sounds like you've landed in a very different place in your view of leadership as you hold it now. It's quite mm -hmm. profound. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by Pluto Pillows. In all of life's little ups and downs, sleep is perhaps your most important ally. Pluto provides a personalized pillow directly to your door. The only irony here for me is that I loved my Pluto pillow until my wife stole it, and now she loves it. Personalized for me, but no longer mine. Well, still a win for the family, I suppose. Check out PlutoPillow.com. All orders receive free shipping and a 100-night guarantee. Today's episode is also brought to you by Sanity Labs. 
Sanity Labs provides founder and executive coaching designed by founders for founders. If you have considered hiring a CEO coach, but had a hard time finding one who really knew what it felt like to be in the founder or CEO seat, be sure to check out Sanity Labs. Sanity bridges leadership development with actual tactics for company building to ensure you are not alone in the hardest parts of your role. Visit sanitylabs.co for more details. Reminder before we return to the episode, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at the sanitypod.com. And now back to Gorov. I'm wondering if I might invite you into some challenges that I hear as a coach and invite you to put your own coaching hat on and see what comes forward, given the experience that you've had this last year. How does that sound? Yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited for that. <laughs> All right. So let me let me share a couple of things I've heard e- even recently. I've got a, a client who, similar to where you were, is pretty well-resourced. They have a product live in the market, a lot of capital on the balance sheet, and are really struggling to find product market fit. Mm-hmm. And I've got a little bit of a bigger team, 30 people or so, mm-hmm. and are struggling to know when is it time to look at pulling the plug on the current effort? How would we know that? What do we do with the team? How do we begin to explore a different view of what product market fit might look like for us? What is the team going to need from us through that transition? And I'm curious what comes up for you, given the journey that your team has had this last year. Yeah, I think, let me talk about a story. I think this was right at the time of September when we first started talking. One of the decisions that we had to make, the first decision we had to make was our team was too big to carry on without post-product market fit or pre-product market fit, sorry. Um, Obviously, when we decided that we have to work as a team, we were also working with a lot of developers and engineers in India. And I'm, I'm Indian, so I had all this incredible team, which I felt is our company's superpower to have people comparatively cheaper location, about 16 people, 16 engineers that were out of India. And I think we were very similar. So we were about 24, so a little bit smaller than this team. But one of the biggest things we had to do was take this decision of downsizing and never an easy conversation, like letting more than half your team members go is a hard conversation. But one of the biggest things, obviously cash flow was an issue for us, but the biggest scenario was for such a large team, it's really hard to execute on product market fit. Mm-hmm. And when you are kind of struggling with finding product market fit, the more people you have, the harder it is to iterate and pivot and and try to figure out what you have to do. And that's what we had to do. We had to make this incredible hard decision. I personally, I called everybody, I emailed references, I made sure that they had jobs, but that was the first decision. The second challenge that I did an amazing job at was inviting my team into this topic of product market fit, not lying to them and being sincere and saying, Mm -hmm. we think we have product market fit because we just raised this incredible round. We think we have product market fit because we have amazing people around the table, but we don't. And here's why. And here's what product market fit means and what we have to get to. And just aligning everybody on that the goal is not to bring in as many sales deals as possible, but the goal is to find incredible product market fit. And here's how we define it. We define it by product is extremely valuable, is providing daily continuous value for our users 
people are coming back, you know, on an hourly basis, on a daily basis. There's incredible stickiness and they're going to cry if we take it away from them, mm -hmm. whatever that means for the company. Mm -hmm. Now, once you're aligned, making sure that we can create goals around it, then have these difficult conversations with our VCs and say, we know that you backed us and you gave us $20 million to get from zero to 20 million in the next two years, but we don't have product market fit. And here's what we are thinking on how we're going to solve it. What is your feedback on it? How have you seen companies struggle with this and how have they dealt with it? It's not the first time that VCs have given someone a lot of money, but the company didn't eventually have product market fit. So having those conversations early, aligning your team, aligning your VCs and everybody around product market fit is the most important thing to do. That's how I would deal with this challenge. Hmm. Let me pause there. How, how does that land for you, Matt? How would you do it? Excellent question. Uh, it lands really well. What I'm hearing is that inviting the team into the exploration felt foundational, right-sizing the team, in part for a burn, but also to allow for a nimble movement so that people can be collaborating and moving quickly around the work that needs to be done. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about how you and Samya organized the team through this effort, because this is a question that comes up often from other founders trying to help a team through a product market fit exploration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to blatantly steal your idea here and kind of label it my own. Steal away. But, but I'm a big fan of stealth teams and having small teams be responsible. I think there's this story about kind of having a stealth team when NASA or I think the US Air Force, they were trying to work on the SR-71, one of the bomber aircrafts, and they created this small team. So going back to it, I feel having small, nimble teams that can iterate quickly is extremely important. So one of the things we were able to do is divide, create these massive objectives. Like the first objective of the company was keep the lights on. That's a pretty mm -hmm. big objective, right? Like we got to make sure that we don't die as a company. And we had a few people, like four of the eight people were working on keeping the lights on. Their job was to make sure that the current customers are happy, paying on time, and we can maintain our platform in the simplest, easiest, cheapest way possible. Wow. Um, so we have cash for the future. And then we had this kind of the second team that was a product market fit team. And mm. we had the list of assumptions and the assumptions were following the lean kind of like lean canvas, lean principles, which had everything from proof that email can work as a channel for us. Everything from that customers would be willing to pay $40,000, $50,000 a year for us. And who would be our ICP? Like all these assumptions where the goal was not to prove everything, but it was to either prove or disprove assumptions as quickly as possible so we can accelerate our learnings. Now, having these two teams with incredible visions, because team two was responsible for the future and team one was responsible for keeping the lights on, everybody mm. had this big purpose, but they were still small teams that they were able to iterate quickly on. So that's kind of what we were able to do that was very successful, is to have small teams be responsible so that they can move fast and iterate quickly. Beautiful. So for context, there was a product that existed that was generating cash and we wanted to keep that on as a way of providing runway for the business. Yep. And it sounds like in order to provide focus for the portion of the team that was working on the product market fit piece, we actually sectioned them off. So as small as number of people as possible were focused on the legacy product. Everybody else goes to focus on product market fit effort. 
and the organization around that was hypothesis driven. So there was a list of hypotheses that that were underlying the business model or the potential future business model for how we were hoping the new product line was going to work. How was the emotional piece for the team and what did they need from you and Samya through this, all of this change of going through the reduction in size, the reorganization, there's a part of the team focused on the old product that maybe we're not keeping anymore, a part that are focused on this very founder-like search of what might be new. Mm-hmm. What did they need through all of that and how did that go? I think it was incredible, Matt. Like I feel like communication was extremely important. So we were almost having daily conversations, like daily scrums. A couple of things that we put in place that worked really well for us was a kind of Monday morning meeting, which was a goal setting meeting, which was all very focused on what do we have to do in the week, maniacally focused on topic objectives, the key tasks we have to accomplish, just like a sprint fashion. And then we always had a Friday meeting where we do a Friday lunch or a Friday breakfast or a Friday happy hour, where we just sit down and talk about where emotions are, like how are we feeling? A lot of these people lost their friends that they worked with for many years together that we had to let go. A lot of people were just uncertain. There's a lot of anxiety and fear of uncertainty in the future. But this was an incredible time to just come together and say, wow, my week was red and here's why. Like I had the most horrific week, very difficult conversations with our new customers or it was a green week. Like we had a lot of fun and we were able to get a lot of things done. I think that provided an incredible forum for everyone to build a lot of trust with each other. Just be vulnerable with each other. I think those two kind of meetings really helped us. And it was also a forum where everyone could be there for each other. And really good teams are built on the foundations of trust So I think that's kind of what we were able to do with that forum. How's it feel to tell this story from beginning to present day for maybe the first time? Very good, Matt. I think it's been an incredible journey, lots of ups and downs, but the fundamentals where we were able to learn how to win as a team. And really, I thought a lot about imposter syndrome in this time, but I think I've gotten really good at kind of managing my own insecurities and why I could be a good CEO, which is so incredibly important. I think there's a lot of good leaders out there, especially like women leaders and women in tech. And then also there's immigrants who come in or people of color. Like it's really hard for them to step out of this imposter syndrome and think about that they could be good enough. I think that's something that I've really uh, noticed and learned on how to become better at. And I hope that everyone can just be the best versions of themselves that they actually are. I hope they can be the best versions in their mind of themselves that they are in reality and the world would be such a better place and a lot of good things would be happening. What's been helpful for you there? So recently there's been all this wonderful external validation with the large round and the splashy new hires coming in, which is super fun to get to witness and hear about. I'm wondering if we rewind six months or nine months when things were far from certain that any of this might happen and a lot of the setbacks were more present, what was helpful to you and how did you navigate your own head through all of that? Yeah, I think a couple of things that have really worked for me, Matt, is I think one of the things that we have also talked a lot about is just hypothesizing whoever that best version of yourself is what would they do in this situation? And and what would, what questions would they ask? So I'll give you an example. I know imposter syndrome never goes away, right? Like it's, it's really hard, no matter what the circumstances. 
I feel like this is this is almost like a disease that stays with you. One of the things that I was thinking about recently when we were announcing Mary this morning, and I was really thinking that, hey, this exec who has been with so many fast-growing companies and have done a lot of different things in their career, how could I potentially manage someone like that? Like, I would be a terrible manager. They should be managing me. How would I even be able to give them what to do? And I was really thinking that, okay, like if there was the best version of myself, right? The best version CEO, whoever that could be, maybe it's Brian Chesky from Airbnb, whoever is your best CEO, maybe it's Steve Jobs, or it's like yourself, right? Like if the best version of yourself, what would they do? I always think about that. And there's always an answer that comes up pretty quickly. And I was like, hey, maybe the best version CEO of myself would have this transparent conversation with Mary and ask her, how would she like to take direction from someone who's not as good of a manager as she is. And that's what we did. And we had a great conversation. Then we created this methodical way of working of where we're going to have weekly one-on-ones. We're going to define objectives together. And then that's how she likes to work. And then it's all about her and how she likes to execute. It's just finding that pattern. And we had another person who joined us and a similar conversation later. What came out was, hey, we would love a daily check-in. What they like is maybe a quick check-in every day saying, here's what I'm working on, get a quick validation from me. Everyone has a different style, but just an example. So I think that's what worked really well for me is really visualizing if the best CEO version of yourself was here, what would they do? And then doing that action. What I'm hearing in part there is also that, and this is a bit of a theme throughout the conversation, but it seems that you have been able to take things that feel in the moment to you, like your biggest weaknesses and actually Mm -hmm. kind of flip them inside out and use them to your benefit. I'm imagining that Mary, if we went and spoke with her, which maybe we should do, that she might say that that conversation resulted in in a much closer connection with you more quickly than she would have had with some other mythical, more experienced CEO who wouldn't have the impetus to say, I I don't know exactly what I'm doing managing you here. And might we have an open conversation about what we would both like from this working relationship and what kind of support would be helpful and what kind of communication. And I'm imagining that she may also have walked away from that feeling pretty inspired and supported. And so what beautiful irony that the feeling of, I don't know what I'm doing managing this person actually led to probably way better management and leadership than she would have received Mm -hmm. elsewhere. That's pretty neat, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think one final thought or one final question that's coming up for me, and I think this is an interesting question to explore from this place of where the past is close enough that you can feel it in your body, what it felt like to be getting ready for that call with Mark or sharing with the team that things are not going well and we need to explore something utterly new, Uh, but also having the recent successes and traction. I'm wondering... A lot of our listeners are likely closer to where you were a year ago. I certainly meet a lot of these people every week where they are feeling that imposter syndrome is feeling super acute. And Mm. the dream of successfully building their own thing is feeling like it's slipping away or like they're letting down their team or their investors and things are just feeling pretty dark and pretty heavy. And, And I'm wondering from where you are being close to both ends, at least of this last year, what you might share with them. I think the biggest thing that's coming to my mind is to remember to breathe 
And you know, as simple as that is, I feel just taking a deep breath is so important. And a few things that I learned over the time was that, like I was saying in the beginning, tough times don't last and good times don't last. Mm. Life is filled with change and everything that's meant to be is going to happen. And just accepting people and situations as who they are and what they are is so important. Just accepting the situation. Yeah, it's a really bad situation. But it is what it is, right? This is the situation we are in, just accepting it. Or maybe it's a difficult person. You just hired an exec that's not working out or your co-founder is not working out. Like these are all these difficult situations. Just accept them and accepting people for who they are and now acting accordingly is the best advice that I could give or that's what I would take is just taking a deep breath and having a steady, calm state of mind and getting to that would be something that I could have done such a better job at. There was a blog I was reading about entrepreneurship. It talked about every year you should reach a highest high and the lowest low. Like the benchmarks mm-hmm. keep going up. You can reach higher and higher, and then you can also fall from there and get incredibly lower, hit rock bottom at any point because of different circumstances. So I feel just breathing, accepting people in situations for who they are and just acting accordingly with this steady, calm state of mind. is just so incredibly important. Mm. There's a through line in the conversation coming up for me here around that saying, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard when things are feeling panicky, whether it's the business isn't going well or my internal mental chatter is not going well, at least for me to want to speed through it and figure it all out and rush, rush, and there's no time and we got to go. Mm-hmm. And when I'm hearing and preparing for the conversation with Mark and aligning the team in managing your own mind through it of slowing down starting with the breath, getting into the moment, stepping out of the panic, taking space to find clarity on what's really going on here. What is at risk and what's not? What options are available to us? What do we actually need to go and learn about? What does the team need to be focused and to be cared for through this? really admire your willingness to slow down and to step through some of this. I know that wasn't easy at all points. Have we missed anything that you'd like to be asked or that you'd like to share before we wind up? I think the last thing that was also coming to my mind, and I was just talking to another entrepreneur who's going through exactly what I was going through, but it was a very different situation. They're having a co-founder breakup. And the only thing I could think of was they were telling me that, hey, what if I call my board and say that I'm not getting along with my co-founder, we're deciding to part ways. My entire job is to make sure that I can build relationships with my team, with my Mm. exec team, with my board, with my customers, and I'm not doing my job as the CEO. The only thing I could think of was just do not be, we have this saying in one of the groups I'm part of, and they say, do not be a football of other people's opinion, Mm. which basically means people's opinions change. And if you care about people's opinions, then you're just on their behest. But people's opinions change of you all the time. If you think about any person, anyone you've Mm. loved dearly in the past, and now you don't talk to them or that you've not liked so much, but now they're a close friend of yours. Like, Your opinion of everybody changes and people's opinion about you changes so much in the same lifetime. So thinking about that and not thinking about other people's opinions is also very important. That's beautiful. It sounds like that friend benefited from that time with you. Yeah, I I hope so. Free advice, right? (laughs) Yeah, very fortunate. 
I feel fortunate as well, as always. Grateful for your partnership yeah. over the last year plus and your partnership here today, creating this together. So thank you for Absolutely. being here in conversation with us, Korov. Really grateful for your time and your openness. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you for being a great coach, Matt. I'm very proud of you and excited to continue this journey with you. Great to be with you, my friend. Thank you. That's today's episode. Please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews mean the world to us. Lastly, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode, please email us at questions at thesanitypod.com. Thank you so much for listening.